0: Hello, and thanks for tuning back into Character Speaks, a podcast in partnership with ProSign Design to spotlight passionate character educators who are in the field walking the talk. I'm your host, Barbara Gruner, and today we are visiting with a kindness crusader, a wife, a mom, an entrepreneur, and so much more, Sheila Solskjaer. Welcome to Character Speaks. Hey, Barbara, it's fun to be here. You know, I've been following your work for quite some time, and I'm so excited that we can finally connect and and share you out a little bit um, wider and perhaps deeper with some of our listeners. Um, Pennies of Time, I think, is the first time I was introduced with you, but I know that your work um, includes that and so much more. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to today.
1: Um. When my boys were two and four, I felt this kind of universal push to do community service with them. Um, but I was brought up um, in a service-minded family, but it was kind of like old-school community service. So when you did community service, it was like big projects. And I was like, I have an active two-year-old. There's no way yeah. <laughs> I am going to take him anywhere. <laughs> Um, and then one day, um, I learned a lesson. Uh, this, is, that would ha- this occurred about a year after I started feeling sort of these promptings to do more with my kids. I was at Target and um, my oldest Everett had just turned five, and there was a lady that in the, the electronic wheelchair that came up behind us. You know how electronic wheelchairs are just amazing vehicles for mm-hmm. kids. And so he turned around and he's talking to the woman and he finds out she's a middle school teacher and she just broken her leg and they were going to start school. And so in the middle of this conversation, he just starts putting her groceries on the belt and I didn't do anything, but really just stand there and watch how this little boy and this grown woman had a very cute conversation where they both gained a lot from it. And then I paid for our purchase. We said goodbye and then we went on our way. Pardon me. I learned a lot from that and I realized that our kids can do so much with little instances of being kind and seeing the need in others. And uh several other things happened and all of a sudden I was doing acts of kindness with my boys every day. And at first I had to really think about it. I'm like, Okay, well what kids can do? Um, what can kids can do? And I started actually Um, coming across the phrase of acts of kindness. Before it then, I was thinking about service activities. But when I reframed for acts of kindness and thought in small ways, that's when the greater world of ideas opened up. And so we started a journey of focusing on kindness for 10 minutes a day. That was in 2012. We've kept doing it. We've done it through um, hardships that you have in life, illness, unemployment. Um, We've kept it through situations where the boys had challenges at school, Uh, and even though we've had challenges along the way in our life, we are happier people for this kind of kindness focus every day. When I first started with the boys, it's when blogs were getting super popular, and so I had a blog because my family would read it, and I just created this pennies of time blog because I thought I can do a penny of time every day with my kids in kindness, And, um, after a couple of weeks, someone was like, is someone reading your blog and is anyone reading it? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So I figured out how to figure out if people were reading it. And in one month I had 20,000 people seeing what I was doing. And I learned a lesson. I learned that many people want to be able to do this with kids. And even though we're surrounded by very negative messages in our world, and even though a lot of the influential influential adults that we have coming into our homes through media aren't the best examples. We have a lot of adults and a lot of parents that want to engage kids around kindness. And so from that point, I started getting lots of questions and answers. And after a couple of years, we incorporated into a nonprofit and um, I had to figure out this kind of equation of how to help families live a kindness lifestyle. And so that's what I do every day. I answer questions, I provide courses, and I just live this really awesome journey of refining myself because you can't um, engage with kindness every day and not realize the inadequacies that we have in ourselves.
0: <laughs> oh, no doubt.
1: Uh, yeah, it's humbling, isn't it? Um, it's like when you're before you're a parent, you think you're kind of cool. You know, you have weaknesses, but you think kind of cool. And then you become a parent and you're like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I have so much to learn. It was sort of like that, but it's been good. And it's been good for me to figure out how to approach things when someone is unkind. And I think that's probably the hardest, how to respond when someone's unkind when you're really trying to deliberately be kind Um, and your kids watch. And so you're trying to honor maybe anger that you feel or frustration, um, because it's not good to push those down. You want to honor the natural feelings that come up, but not sit there with those feelings. You want to then move forward and figure out how to respond. Um, so that's been, for me, a really good way to, to develop my own self in this journey.
0: So surprising. So that's kind of where I am today. Wow. Thank you. Um, you actually segued into one of my questions because i have a new shirt that says be kind to everyone mm-hmm. and my husband has kind of taken me to task a little bit because he's like okay Groan, seriously murderers <laughs> you know because those black and white scientists yes. they want to yes. figure out what you mean by that and are there any loopholes and so help me out with that because you already kind of said that when people are being unkind that's kind of when the rubber meets the road right
1: Right. And when um, sometimes I get questions from parents and they're like, you don't mean everyone. Right. <laughs> and I know when they ask me that question, that there's a story behind it. And I also know that there's pain for them behind it. Right. Because it sounds like someone's been unkind to them. And so there's a there's a feeling of justice to not be kind to others. I think sometimes we use a, anger as a wall of protection. Um and so if we just don't let them in, or if we don't replace anger with love, we're somehow being smarter. <clears throat> and on the outside, when you first think about it, it does sound very protective. But what I have learned is that unkind behavior comes from pain. And so if we can put ourselves in the the shoes or the footsteps of empathy for that person that's unkind, we ourselves avoid some of those drawbacks that happen when we sit in anger, anger is not good for our body. Um, and so although there is justification for someone when, so- when someone's been unkind, um, for example, um, a couple of years ago, our neighbor poisoned our lawn because he didn't like um. our grass. <laughs> and my husband and I were like, what? <laughs> and, you know, we'll just even skip over all the elements that happen <laughs> You know, and so how do I respond to that? It's a little fearful. I feel so like someone attacked my property. What do I do? And taking those, those feelings of fear and knowing what to do with them. And so what we did with them was we had a conversation um, to try and get his perspective and asked him, why didn't you just let us know you hated our grass? (laughs) Why did you have to go towards poisoning it? Um, when someone is very, very unkind to the point of murder, being kind doesn't mean that there's not justice for a and have there's a consequence to that action. Um, I don't think any of us are going to be like, if one of our kids hits the other kid, we're gonna be tell the 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 one that's hurt, oh, you know, just ignore it. It's okay. (laughs) If your brother hits you, no, that's not how we'll handle it. right? Right. But we have to help that kid that was hurt, move out of anger and have compassion and respond with kindness. And sometimes the responding with kindness is allowing ourselves to forgive. All right. you know what, I'm really trying to be compassionate and I'm going to forgive. And, um, we still approach the first kid and be like, okay, what's going on. Typically, what I have found is kids that, react that way or act out in that way are coming from a point of anger. If one of my kids comes home um, uh, and does something like says something or pops off about something, typically I know to step back and then let them calm down and then have a conversation of what happened today. And every single time someone said something, someone did something that caused hurt for their heart. And so they are reacting to that hurt that they're feeling, trying to, use their anger to draw power, to, to, to fill that vacuum of that hurts. So <clears throat> it's really hard because there are really sticky situations out there. What if a colleague steals your work and claims it as his or her own? That's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so you have to think about, okay, how am I going to approach this in a kind way? It doesn't mean that those, that that behavior isn't without consequence, but are you going to react in anger and, um, sabotage that person? Um, Is there a way for you to follow procedure and bring the issue up? Um, Sometimes you just have to let it go because there might not be a, a cemented good way to handle it. And that's hard. It's hard because in your mind, it's like, this isn't fair. But what I have learned is, is pushing for fairness oftentimes hurts me more than it helps me. And so if I'm pushing for fairness, what energy am I expending? How is my heart hurting? How am I influencing my life in a way that helps me if I constantly go for revenge in that way? It's, it's definitely a tough nut. But I have found that when there has been something that's been done wrong, um, I've never regretted responding with kindness. I've always regretted when I respond with anger. <laughs>
0: So I'm hearing a distinction between reacting and responding, and I actually posed that question Monday when I got to speak to some moms of preschoolers. Like, how do you how do you intentionally choose to respond? And in your case, you said respond with kindness versus react, which again, in your case, you said react with anger. H- have you done work around that? Have you have you, I mean, clearly you're, you're speaking that language. What's, what's the answer to that? Or what's the um, strategy for that?
1: Um, The first time I came into contact with that kind of uh, concept, uh, I was a special ed teacher and we, um, in our classroom, we had the kids that had the most um, violent or negative behavior. And there's a reason why they're in those behaviors, and it can vary from one kid to the other. But what I understand about teaching children with that kind of behavior history is it never goes well to react. So even when they're in a situation where, frankly, they're tearing up the room, you cannot react. You have to be constantly proactive in the situation. And sometimes with those particular students, you had to use your... um, Safety training and within safety, using your training, physically put them in a place where they can be safe for themselves. Again, you can't react to what they do. You have to be proactive. Um, What I have found is in any situation, whether you're parenting or you're caught in a sticky situation at work, um, the power in being proactive and not reacting is in how well you take care of yourself. So the, one of the first things I learned as a special ed teacher is I have to make sure I get good sleep. I have to make sure that I have a a good diet. Um, I have to, when I slide into using caffeine or sugar to keep going, (laughs) (laughs) I have to watch that because for whatever reason, my brain tends to react when I'm on, when I'm in that mode, especially if I'm sleep deprived versus being proactive and, and, um, giving space for my brain and my body to communicate effectively with one another. Um, and sometimes after you've gone through a situation that's really intense, um, having self care is pulling yourself out of the situation, whether the student is now with someone else and he or she is safe. And so then you go to the other side of the school, you find an empty closet, you shut the door and you cry. I had to do that mm-hmm. several times because when you're trying to not react there's a lot of emotion going on in your body that you're not following through. It could be anger or fear or frustration. Um, and so you have to allow yourself space to just kind of get all that out. Um, I, and when I first began my career, I did it through crying. Um, and now I do it through physical activity. So I'll go and I'll swim, and I can get all that out. <clears throat> not saying so I don't cry; that still happens. But
0: <laughs> but it's a nice so, release to physically yes. move that those feelings through. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And it takes some forethought to be to to decide ahead of time. Okay, if my toddler embarrasses me in public, I'm gonna be okay with that because it's not about me. My toddler is learning and. Kids say the weirdest things. Kids say inappropriate things. Kids are learning how to control impulses. Their brains are growing and maturing. So they're going to do stuff that's inappropriate, that might be embarrassing. And so sometimes not being reactive is you've decided ahead of time what you will and won't do. And um, sometimes as a parent,
0: you can't even know what to decide ahead of time. (laughs) Right. Right but so, I I found when I was teaching the responsibility pillar that responsibility really just means the ability to respond right so responsible parenting you know of course in the moment there are going to be times and I love how you say that give yourself permission because those kids are going to be inappropriate and it is going to push boundaries but learning to to sharpen those abilities to respond I think also helps with that.
1: Absolutely. And it's, um, it can be really hard to pull your ego out of it. If you can, yeah, right. (laughs) If you can pull your ego out of it, then you can respond with greater empathy and see, Oh, okay. The reason why she did that was she is tired or maybe she's getting sick. And so it, it slows yourself down so you can respond more positively um, and handling the behavior versus that knee jerk pop back, um, which happens, right? And when it happens, we have to acknowledge, apologize as we can and give ourselves, um, the freedom to make mistakes and then just decide how to do it better next time. None of us are perfect. And I know that's really hard sometimes because we're the adult or the parent, but we have to consider that we're still growing and, and developing and maturing on our own, even
0: though we might be forty. <laughs> yeah, or fifty-seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to switch gears because you're talking about mining lessons. It sounds like you're a lifelong learner. Um, I think part of your learning comes from Harvard, where there was a study not too long ago, and I don't, I don't want to get it wrong, but making caring common, where I think kids and parents weren't necessarily on the same page about what they perceived they felt was important in their families. Can you speak to that a little bit? Certainly. So
1: researchers out of Making Care in Common um, surveyed a whole bunch of high schoolers and their parents, and they had the two groups, and teachers, and they had the groups rank what's most important. And they were trying to line up to see if there were commonalities, and there weren't. The high schoolers felt that their parents and teachers um ranked being academically successful over being caring and the research was really important for all of us um, no matter if we're in the schools or if we're parents or for business professionals because although we do consider academic success important there's no really excuse me there's nowhere we can take that successfully if we don't know how to care for others or respond to others in some way. So it's a great, great data point for all of us to pay attention to because we have to think about why would our kids think that? Why would our kids think that it's more (laughs) important to be a straight-A student versus being able to recognize when someone needs help? And it's I think what the researchers were able to articulate was how we elevate academic success over everything else. And we do it because I think academic success is very measurable you either got an a or b or a c right
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so if you aren't deliberate with your conversation in that same dinner conversation you won't mention anything about how well did you see someone being kind today was someone being kind to you did you help someone out so it's it's a matter of developing those skills of kindness compassion and empathy in a deliberate way since um, with this research on American kids, we're seeing that as parents, we're showing that academic success is important and it is, but it's eclipsing the elements of just being able to take care of one another. And so there's a balance, right? We want our kids to be academically successful because we don't want them to live at home forever. <laughs> right. And in our minds, we have this idea if they can get their academics down, then that will help them transition into employment. But what also helps them transition to employment is this ability to interact with others and have relationships and see need and be compassionate towards others. In fact, the World Economic Forum put out a top 10 most desired skills for, for employers. And there were things like um, related to academic prowess. But on that top 10 list were things like being able to interact with others, have empathy for others. So it's a balance that we need to strike better in our families. And for,
0: Oh, sorry. Weren't, no, ten, weren't eight out of 10 of those actually like what we would call soft skills, which yes. I prefer to call success soft skills? Health. I don't know why yes. we're calling them soft still. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> soft notates weakness. And they're not, right? No. Yeah, you're right. So many. And there was a shift um, at the same time they had published their um, list from five years previous. And I did have a lot of those success skills in there, but it's now even more. Wow. Um, and I think that's probably for a lot of reasons, um, um, one of which is sometimes as a parent, it's really hard to know how to teach those skills. And so, um, in fact, sometimes when you try to teach them, it gets a little difficult. So sometimes it's it's like, oh, I tried. It didn't work. And then we kind of let it go. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and what employers are finding is, no, we need those now, particularly with kids that are, inter- you know, uh, integrating so much technology in their lives. We need to make sure that they have that other piece of of work, which is being able to work with others.
0: So I saw this on a t-shirt or maybe a poster or maybe both. Kindness is free. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So you're laughing. You've got yeah. a nonprofit which <laughs> focuses on service and kindness uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and clearly... Re- If you're providing resources, it's not fair for us to ask you to do that for free. But help me understand that mentality that it's maybe not something we should be investing in to use that um, monetary metaphor.
1: I like the way that you phrase that because there's a lot of quotes that I think we're trying to make kindness more accessible. And so when you say kindness is free, spread it like confetti. It's like, oh, well, why Why is kindness so hard? So I think the intent of a lot of those phrases was to make kindness a little bit more readily accessible to it. Well, if it's not free, then I can do it. Um, trying to remove like a, a burden to, to being kind. But what I have found is though, although kindness doesn't necessarily have to cost Money, it does have a resource attached to it. so i'll I'll give an example. Um, one of the programs we do is we mentor families to becoming kinder, and that starts with the habits that we have at home. And then once we have some some strong kindness habits in the home, then we expand it in the community. And one summer I was running this as a pilot and I was putting 10 families through it. And I staggered, I started two families, go two weeks, and then start another two families. What I found was at week four, for every single family, Barbara, at week four, the moms were on burnout.
0: Mm, They were done.
1: They were done. And so I had to step back and say, okay, what are your goals for this? What were you trying to get out of it? What are you doing? And what I found was the moms were the kindness
0: pushers, <clears throat> which kind of happens sometimes, right? Like, sure. guys, we've got chores to do. Every, <laughs> You know what? Every crusade needs a cheerleader. That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, they, but they were like, Sheila, I don't get why this is so hard. And one mom even said, isn't kindness free? Well, yes, I don't have to hand over a $5 bill every time I'm kind but kindness does require a resource. Sometimes it's an effort of, I'm going to stand a little bit longer and hold the door open. Sometimes it's a, it's a big resource. Like, you know what? That was really rude and it is so rude and I'm so angry, but I'm going to hold back and I'm not going to respond in my anger. And that takes a resource, right? Like you're having to expend your own energy to do this.
0: Well, you're Um, paying in
1: patience. (laughs) Absolutely. I like that. And so kindness, although it doesn't cost $5, um, it does take effort. And so when people say kindness is free, they're minimizing the effort sometimes that kindness takes because kindness is not a flower. I think sometimes we get, um, caught up in ideas like kindness is glitter and rainbows and flowers. And although those can be outputs of kindness, kindness is a problem solving process and problem solving. It takes effort and energy and, um, that isn't free. That is intellectual burning calories. That's sometimes lining up a resource that may be easily or not easily found to fill a need. And so sometimes it isn't free. And, and I think that that's that this idea that kindness is free hurts the kindness movement because at the moment in which kindness isn't easy, people want to give up. Well, why is it so hard? Kindness is free. Like Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be difficult, but it can be difficult. When someone's mean to you, it can be difficult to respond in kindness and figure out what that means. And so coming from the area of a nonprofit, as we have to pay the bills and make sure we have all things in place, sometimes it's hard because people reach out for help, which is great. We want to provide that help and they want it all to be free, which I would love if we could just have it all for free. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. It's just not sustainable. We would dry up and die. Um, and then we wouldn't be able to help anyone, um, if we didn't have a way to be self-sustaining. But one of the things that I have learned is that kindness is powerful and learning to be kind is a forever skill and learning to be kind, especially when someone is unkind, it gives you leverage in a way that intellectually you can work through so many more difficult problems than someone else who hasn't gone, gone through that journey. And so with if someone's on the edge of, do I really want to do this more frequently? Is this really worth it? It definitely is because the kids that participate in programs and that um, go to schools that are consistent with this kind of character education oh my goodness, they're amazing what they do. It's incredible to watch what they do. And they're tackling things that adults can't even tackle. So I'm excited to watch these kids grow and see what they do as adults.
0: So you would say unequivocally that the benefits to kindness, the process of kindness outweigh the costs.
1: Absolutely. And sometimes it's hard to see that, particularly um, right away right away. Absolutely. But if you can stick with it and doing it in a, in a consistent way, and okay, so I'm going to be a little bit judgmental. When the holiday time comes up, I get a lot of uh, questions, emails. What can I do? It's holiday time. I want to give back. And I appreciate that people want to honor um, what they have in their hearts and give back because they may have so much at holiday time. But I prefer that we, um, back off on big service projects at holiday time and do smaller experiences throughout the rest of the year. Christmas time is overwhelming for everyone, particularly kids. And then we add on this expectation of, okay, now we're going to do a service project. And if you don't do it consistently enough, you're asking them to exercise muscles that they don't really have a lot of strength in right now. And sometimes it might not go well and then everyone feels bad because we're going to do the service project and we all ended up arguing (laughs) Yeah, and then it's terrible and we're awful people. That's not a journey you need to go on. By the way, even if you're doing a service project and it doesn't go well, that's okay. Have a stop and have a conversation the next day about why it might not have gone the way we wanted it to. That's a learning experience. So I encourage families to, you know, Consistently, whether once a month, once a week, or once a day, do things throughout the year versus trying to put everything in one big, huge service project at Christmas time. You know, I, I don't want to demean the work that's needed at Christmas time because there are needs um, that the whole world has at Christmas time, but maybe think of something smaller to do because you'll do something small throughout the year versus putting so much pressure on this one time experience.
0: I love that when we had Houston Kraft come to talk with our school kids um he basically said you don't have to do everything because everything kind of ends up equaling nothing well right mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. just have to do one thing and when you think about you know these one drops of kindness that truly can make you know a tsunami if you'll let it over time there's that patience piece again then it seems like the benefit is deeper and wider over time. Oh, absolutely.
1: You know, our bodies are wired for kindness. And so all the good hormones and chemicals that are released when you receive kindness and of kindness are the same ones that are released when you are the giver of kindness.
0: I and then also that. when
1: you witness kindness, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're going through a tough time and you're like, oh my gosh, Sheila, I don't have it in me to like do more at bedtime When you're talking with your kids over bedtime reading or at dinner time, when you're having a conversation, bring up kindness as you're reading the book and you see a character be unkind or kind. Talk about that. How does that behavior affect others? Because that's the big thing. When you learn how kindness or being unkind is a behavior that affects others, kids start clicking in. They're not stupid, and kids have really good hearts. Mm -hmm. And so, when you talk about how behavior affects others, they're going to pick it up and they're going to learn it and they're going to watch for it. And so you can teach kindness without ever having to leave your front door. If you're like, is that true, Sheila? And I was like, it is true. In fact, when you do an act of kindness, I always say when the kindness is over, whether later that day or the next day, have a conversation about what you just did, because it's in those quiet moments where you can kind of pull it apart and say, well, did we do what we wanted to do? And we drop that. That, that basket of um, fruits and breads at the fire station. What do the firefighters do? It's in those moments of contemplation that those synapses connect better. Um, it's always fun when you go to the fire station and kids are excited, um, but they don't have that perspective of looking back if you don't make that conversation happen. And that's when they can like really see what happened. And it was really fun. Or I had a question about this, or I didn't like it because she did this and, and have a conversation so it's, um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. If you try to do everything, you're just going to burn out and not want to do anything.
0: <laughs> I think one of my best um, examples of that, because John Dewey says that we are not learning through our experiences during them. We are learning through them in the reflection, right? And we mm-hmm. were on our way home from serving the homeless and it was sticky and it was hot and And it was um, smelly and there were mosquitoes and, and my Joshua said, do you think those people really wanted to be baptized or did they just want a bath? And I mean, you know, that's, (laughs) that's a senior in high school, Uh you know, trying to figure it out. But on the way home, he said, mom, why did that lady ask you for the recipe for our peanut butter balls? Love that. Right. And I just like well, what do you think? But mom, she doesn't even have a kitchen. But where is her hope and 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 promise for the future? And and what did we do for her by finding paper and pencil and writing that down? And really, just the the lessons built into the time and energy that it took to take Joshua. And really, we just needed some service hours. So they didn't kick him out of National Honor Society. (laughs) But the end, you know, the outcome, the benefit far outweighed whatever cost was associated with that visit.
1: Yeah, I love that example. um, Because it also gives like, I have two boys, one of them is just like his dad, he's an extreme extrovert. And the other one is very introverted. And I think a lot of times parents have expectations of what kids will be able to say or do during an act of kindness or right after. And so how did it go? Like they're like, (laughs) "I, I now love humanity. I will never hit my brother again. I will always be kind to my sister, right? They want that to happen. And for my extrovert, he's much more prepared because that's how he processes. He processes verbally, but my introvert I know that it may even be a week, and we'll be driving in the car, and he'll pop in. Hey, mom, remember this? Yes. Well, I was thinking about this, and I have something to say. I love and so that. It's, Yeah, we as as teachers and parents, we have to be flexible to meet our kids where they are. And there are some introverts that hate community acts of kindness. They feel really uncomfortable. It, they're scared. It's not in their space of of what they want to be doing. And we have to be okay with that and honor it. So maybe they design placemats with their artistic abilities and we laminate them and drop them off at meals for Wheels that can be delivered when they take out, you know, meals. So we have to honor who our kids are and pay attention to that um, and let go. I think letting go of control, maybe I'm sharing a little too much about my own self (laughs) (laughs) and me (laughs) letting go of control sometimes can be really hard because you have in your mind, well I want it to look like this because I want these outcomes because I want the experience to count to matter, right? We have to <clears throat> pull back from from all of that. There was one time I was driving to a leadership meeting and I was a little behind and I had all of the materials for the meeting and um at the time my youngest was 4 and he was in the car and I have a little bit of tunnel vision when I'm late and I'm super focused. So I'm driving and he's like, mom, we need to stop. And I'm like, we are not stopping. He's like, no, there's a, a guy in need. Um, oh. <laughs> when they were younger, we didn't call them homeless because I didn't want my boys to go up to someone. Are you homeless? <laughs> we go in need. I'm like, uh, I, we are late. He's like, mom, there's a guy in need. Honey, we're late. Let me just drop off the stuff and then we'll come back. I was almost to the building. So he's very angry with me um, because he recognized someone in need and he knows that we can help them in some way. So, but I'm in control. I am the adult. We dropped off the materials and I followed through. I circled back and we never found him. Oh no. And Merritt was upset And, and rightly so because this whole time I had been trying to encourage the boys to see need and respond to that need. But because I was in control, I was driving Um, I was prioritizing a commitment that I had, and it's good to follow through with commitments, but I had prioritized my commitment over the potential that someone else would need help. And I I learned a lot from that. I learned that it's important to let go, particularly if we want kids to step in their own space of being able to have the skills to do this. And so, yeah, that, that dinner conversation last night with that night was, um, that was a bunch of humble pie for me to, to swallow, um. I'm not saying that I'm not controlling in other areas of my life, but I'm way better when it comes to honoring my kids and the ideas they have. Sometimes the ideas are kooky. I will absolutely admit that, but I have to let them follow through. And I've been surprised. Sometimes their kooky ideas are exactly
0: what's been needed. Do you know, empathy has been called intentional imagination. Were you able to go back and say, buddy, if we would have stopped, what would that have looked like to you?
1: You know, no, no,
0: I didn't. But that is
1: a great way to extend that conversation. And I love how that's phrased. What is it called? Intentional what it? imagination. Intentional imagination. I'm writing that down. Because um, we do talk about if something went wrong, what did we expect? Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I think that by pushing even past that point of, of what could have happened next or or um, if we do something different, what do you imagine? How do you imagine it, it go better next time? And I think the like the fun part of watching all of this come together is to see the kids continue to grow and develop, and have their own ideas, and just just run with them. So um, last year um, during the summertime, my kids participated in virtual kind of summer camps that Pennies of Time sponsors. And there was a week where we did a work on conservation and the environment. And my oldest saw an activist um, whose name is Rob. And Rob carried all of the trash that he made for a whole month trying to show, as Americans, we make over five pounds of trash today. What does that look like? Oh. How much does it weigh? How are we affecting the earth? <clears throat> and that school year, my kid was like, um, I wanna do that. And I was like, oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> What have I done? (laughs) It was almost 65 pounds on Rob Greenfield. My little fifth grader who is taller than the average fifth grader. That's a lot. And I was like, Oh no, but he went with it. He sewed his own suit. He created a presentation for the principal. And then he presented to the teachers. He adjusted the, the, what Rob Greenfield did to be more appropriate for a fifth grader. And he wore trash for two weeks and then he turned around and he showed kids how you can conserve. So He gained um, 35 pounds of trash in two weeks, which was less than what the average American makes, but it was still quite big. And then the second two weeks, it was one single large snowball of trash. Um, It was all him.
0: He did it. Mm, That was so so much fun to watch online. online.
1: It's so fun. And the interesting thing is he has expanded past it. He wrote legislation this past year to present on how, in our area, cafeterias don't recycle anything so they have recycle bins in the classrooms but they don't in the cafeteria and he was marking down how much trash is recyclable so he wrote legislation around it and then right now he's putting together um, new proposals to submit to his middle school principals on how he wants to do trash me kids again but in a little bit different way so I it's all him I don't
0: (laughs) you know sometimes we just have to get out of their way don't we
1: (laughs) oh absolutely (laughs) And let go of, well, well, are kids going to think it's stupid you're wearing trash? He owned it. He's like, I don't care. This is more important than what some odd kid might say about me wearing trash and stinking. So again,
0: the benefit outweighing the cost.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Sheila, thank you so much for your time today. How can followers, um, listeners, um, people who are interested in your kindness crusade grow alongside of you?
1: The best place to start is penniesoftime.com. There are lots of ideas there, examples of things that you can do with your kids. And our goal is to do it 10 to 15 minutes per day or frequently, however you decide that frequency. If you're not sure where to start, there is up in the menu a start. Click linkable things. You click on that and it takes you to four different profiles of parents. And you kind of click on what you resonates most with you. And that'll give you a starting place. And we also have something called the Kindness Academy, which is sponsored by Pennies of Time. And that provides courses to teach you more about a particular service project, or just how to start doing this with your family. And our course catalog will come out soon for that. But starting at penniesoftime.com is the best place.
0: Thank you so much. Kindness is definitely a superpower in your orbit. And I appreciate you carving out the time for us today. I also want to remind listeners that this podcast is supported by ProSign Design, a family-owned business dedicated to character, safety, and organization. Then I want to invite them, y'all, to come on back next week as we continue the conversation about character education, connections, and life. Until then, don't forget that character speaks.